0: Mad Max Minute, where we scramble to prepare for uninvited guests in Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior, one minute at a time. I'm Rick.
1: And I'm Julia.
0: And today we're talking about Minute 29, which begins with the mechanic admiring Max's car, and it ends with Max being handcuffed to a rail by Virginia. When we left off yesterday, we were wondering about this situation of them getting the car inside. And when they received that order, they hadn't really talked to Max at all. The mechanic and the mechanic's assistant and all the people that are towing Max's car into the compound, they're all operating on that original order. They haven't been updated that Papagallo has ordered everyone that they need to get rid of Max. Right. So the question remains, are they going to just give him back his car, which is the right thing to do, or are they going to kick him out of the compound without his vehicle, which is tantamount to just killing him.
1: Or are they just going to kill him?
0: That is always an option. They could just drag him outside the compound, stand him at the edge of the moat and just murk him right there. Ooh, I feel that's... like I feel like Virginia would be okay with that move. Oh, yeah. I, I feel she, like she would do it.
1: She could have done it right then and there. And I'm kind of surprised she didn't. If he had meant for Max to be essentially executed, Virginia could have done it right then and there and saved everybody all sorts of trouble and time and whatnot. It really is left up to conjecture what was going to happen because in this minute we get distracted by things going on outside the Mm -hmm. wall. We really are just left up to our own analysis. I think that they were going to just kind of push him out the front door without his car. And that's that. Yeah. I think they were going to keep the car. I think the mechanic took a liking to the car.
0: And they did just lose four vehicles that and, morning.
1: Yes, they did. So they need vehicles. That's It's a good one. And they don't need another mouth to feed, although they did just lose eight mouths to feed. Yeah. So gaining one more isn't a horrible thing, but given the opportunity, I'm sure they'd rather not gain one more. Yeah. I think they're going to keep the car and not keep Max. <sighs> but I don't think me. they were going to straight up execute him. So I think kind of middle middle ground.
0: I mean, it's nice that we don't have to find out what they were going to do because mm-hmm. of the convenient rearrival of the horde. We've got that lookout at the end of the minute that yells that they're coming back.
1: It occurs to me that at this point that when Papagallo said get rid of him, they still haven't heard the story of who he is.
0: Exactly. They
1: think he's a marauder. They think that maybe by just pushing him out the front door, it wouldn't be tantamount to murder that he would just be going back to his people
0: that's a good point
1: But then again, if they think that he's just going to go back to his people, why would they set him free? That's another good point. I'm kind of back to the execution thing.
0: If he was a marauder, like some of them think he is, giving him back to the Horde, he just saw inside of their compound. Mm -hmm. And so it would be incredibly foolish for him to go back to the Horde because he'd have all of this intel to give them.
1: Maybe it was a setup. Maybe a marauder was given a mostly dead person to take back as a peace offering so that he could get inside and see what's going on.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's not the case. But I can see how they would think that.
1: Yes. Oh, Game of Thrones, because we haven't talked about that in a couple of minutes. (laughs) In the very last episode, Peter Baelish is having a conversation with Sansa, and he's like, I like to play a little game where I think the worst about people, and then I convince myself that that's the right thing. And so these... These people, the, the compound dwellers, if they're thinking the worst about Max, they're like, all right, what could his worst intentions be?
0: Yeah. And how would that benefit him?
1: Then they would come to a conclusion, like he is a marauder and he now has information. And if we let him go, he's going to take that information back about. How many people are in there and what kind of leadership they have, what kind of supplies they have. He has seen and talked to so many people in there that he would have a lot of information if he was a marauder and if he was able to go back to his people.
0: I'm a little bothered by the fact that they never really gave Max more of a chance to defend himself. No. But really, Max wasn't interested in defending himself. He was interested in getting his gas and leaving.
1: Once it became clear to Max that he wasn't going to get his gas, after Nathan was dead, I feel like he should have been given an opportunity to say something to like speak freely because up till now all of his speaking has been answering direct questions or getting in a few words as he could he wasn't able to speak freely and say things that he needed to say
0: given the warrior woman's statement about oh he's mercenary trash dealing in human flesh i don't even think he could have co-opted the idea of bringing nathan's body back into getting some gas for him because he kind of had that mark against him virginia's like this guy is bad and the curmudgeon's like yeah he's bad let's not give him anything and virginia's like yeah give him nothing i love that line give him nothing
1: (laughs) yeah that's pretty great hey you notice the curmudgeon the couple times that we've heard him speak has only been reiterating something someone else has said
0: (laughs) yeah recalling either repeating what someone else said or repeating something that he said earlier yeah he's you know Old man ranting.
1: Yeah, he's a curmudgeon.
0: He lives up to his name. Max is being led by this group of people that don't like him towards his car, which is getting towed into the thing. And the mechanic is there in his... Overly complicated wheelchair crane thing, which is quite a feat of engineering. I like the fact that it's got the big bicycle wheels and it's got the nice wide frame, so it's got a good sturdy base, and it's got mm-hmm. like a pair of bicycle handlebars in the back that the assistant can hold on to and like yeah. raise and lower. It's like an industrial
1: size Hoyer. Yeah. It's fantastic.
0: It's it's pretty great, and it gives some really dynamic movements to this character who is otherwise completely paralyzed yeah. from the way. And I
1: gotta say, I did not know that he was paralyzed until Dog started attacking his feet. (laughs) And he had and he didn't no react. reaction yeah. whatsoever. I thought it was a convenience thing. Equating it to mechanics who, what's the rolly thing on the ground that they lay on? I think
0: they're called crawlers or yeah. creepers or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something
1: like that. It just makes it more convenient to, to get around the car to do what you need to do. That's kind of what I thought he was doing.
0: Yeah, I just love how the car is rolling by and the mechanic swoops into mm-hmm. the scene. He's like, gotta hand it to you, treasure. And I love the fact that he calls Max treasure. As a nickname,
1: that That is endearing. Yeah,
0: he's got (laughs) this mechanic. He's got pizzazz, and he's got like he's got a very expressive face.
1: And he's amusing down the road as well.
0: Yeah. So he says, ah, the last of the V8 Interceptors. A piece of history. He's very complimentary. He kind of lifts up Max's booby trap device and he says, would have been a shame to blow it up. Almost like teasing Max a little right. bit that he was able to find it.
1: Yeah, he was and, very uh, amused with himself.
0: Yeah, you get the sense that he's torn apart his fair share of vehicles yeah. to be able to he find knew, that so quickly.
1: look for a good booby trap.
0: The mechanic character is played by a guy named Stephen J spears he is known primarily as a writer his known for section on imdb include uh, the road warrior where he played the mechanic but it also includes him as a writer for the movie ghosts can do it which i've never heard of that one before it's from 1987 but he's also well known as a writer on it looks like a couple episodes of a show called more winners in 1990. They're uh, TV movies. More Winners, Mr. Edmund, and More Winners, The Big Wish. So two TV movies from 1990. As far as his movie Ghosts Can Do It from 1987, it was uh, directed by Ted Robinson, written by Steve J. Spears. It is the story of a disturbed woman who murders her husband and then others so that she can be haunted by their wronged spirits, which...
1: So she wants to be haunted?
0: Doesn't sound like a great plan, but hey, if that's your thing who am I to kink shame I mean the movie is entitled Ghosts Can Do It so
1: yeah do what
0: (laughs) he actually played a part in that movie as Danger Man not quite sure what that's all about he has 11 acting credits to his 13 writing credits he was active all the way up until 2002 with a career that started in a appearance on an episode of matlock police in 1975 he was in an episode called hard times he passed on october 16th 2007 in adelaide but he's great in this movie he is really great in this movie I see the mechanic as definitely one of the more charismatic and likable characters in the compound.
1: So far, I am having a hard time liking the people in the compound.
0: They're just so quick to toss Max out. Yes. They don't know him like we know him.
1: My memory of Papagallo and then what I've analyzed of him thus far, he's kind of a jerk. Is he kind of a jerk? Mm.
0: Hard to say.
1: Okay. We'll, we'll definitely analyze his jerkiness minute by minute. <laughs>
0: As we get more of an exposure to him. Yes. Yeah. I think Papagallo's main issue is that he's got a lot of people to keep under control and it's kind of a volatile situation. So he's not in the best place
1: Yeah. As
0: far as leading is concerned. I
1: I can definitely see that.
0: But yeah, the mechanic, he's just got this fancy free way about him. As he says to Max that it would have been a shame to blow up the Interceptor, he reaches over and taps on the gas tank and it makes this nice metallic hollow ringing sound. And as he does that... Right on cue. Dog, like, charges through the crowd and just goes (laughs) at the mechanics like, grabs at his legs and starts snarling and whipping his head around
1: <laughs> i know that it like shouldn't be funny
0: it is kind of funny a little it bit is kind
1: of funny reminds me of joe from family guy <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay
1: because the character is paralyzed from the waist down and is in a wheelchair and to give the show credit he is extremely highly functional
0: he's very physically capable yes yeah
1: there's no difference in his abilities. Between him and the other characters. Like, they play him just like everybody else. So that is to their credit. Then they'll do these gags with his legs. And they're just... it You're not supposed to find it funny, like, as a decent human being. But you do anyways. Because inside of all of us is... uh,
0: A terrible person that loves Family Guy.
1: (laughs) I was also struck by how long the crowd just stood there and watched this happen. Yeah. Like, a few seconds. They just watched this dog attack this paralyzed man. They knew that it wasn't going to make a difference.
0: The dog rushes through the crowd at 12 seconds and 7 frames. We get a quick shot of the feral child who is kind of watching this happen. So Mm -hmm. from 12 seconds, 21 frames until, I'd say, somewhere around 15 seconds. Yeah, the dog is just kind of...
1: Three seconds. They're Pulling just at there. the legs. Doesn't sound like a long time, but in movies, three seconds is a long yeah. time.
0: And the whole time this is happening, you know, the mechanic is just kind of sitting there in his sling. It's almost like he's got his arms crossed. He's just kind of looking down at the dog. And I wanted to say he was getting a kick out of it. But at the same time, he just kind of seemed kind of neutral about it. Yes. Like, yes, this is happening. And it's like this dog doesn't realize that this is not doing anything to me. Everyone, like you said, is just watching dog mm-hmm. pull at the mechanic's legs until the mechanic's assistant finally decides, okay, well maybe I should do something and so he pushes forward and tries to wrestle Dog away from the mechanic's legs and Max is having none of it.
1: This is an instance that is kind of mirrored by the next event in this minute where everything just turns to chaos. Everybody's moving around trying to accomplish something. I feel like it's packed in such a small space. At the very center of it all you have this dog that is in attack mode. It's very Unsettling.
0: Yeah, it's kind of claustrophobic.
1: Right, there's a lot of weapons going on. There's a lot a- of people
0: in the frame. Yes,
1: a lot of people who would not mind using those weapons.
0: At the same time as I recognize that it's a very chaotic scene, at the same time it's also very sweet. Because yes. Max is being held by all these people and he breaks free of them so that he can pull the mechanics assistant off of Dog. And he can get his arms around Dog and get Dog calmed down. Yes. Because Dog is in protect mode. Mm -hmm. dog has recognized that the mechanic is a threat to the black on black and the black on black is an extension of max and so the dog needs to protect the car so max needs to like calm dog down and be like no it's okay it's okay calm down calm down in order to do that he's got to push other people off and these compound dwellers are like pulling at his jacket and every part of him trying to like keep weapons on him
1: it says something really sweet about max he risks his life to do that
0: Mm -hmm. well dog is his family
1: yeah and the compound dwellers were fully prepared to kill him and he then he like breaks away and misbehaves and they don't know what's going on they would have had in on their side of things they would have had every right to kill him right then and there Mm -hmm. uh but he risked that
0: yeah so max gets his hands around dog and he says let him go let him go it's all right mate and he's like calming the dog down yeah as he's trying to calm dog down we hear the lookout shout mm-hmm. from above he says here they come close the gates they're coming back
1: once again
0: all hell breaks loose <laughs> we
1: are in total chaos <laughs> this chaos it feels a little bit better to me though mm-hmm. because first of all the chaos is outward yes the everyone one is was, spreading was out inward everyone was getting closer to each other this time everyone's running away yeah
0: instead of the, something else instead of the scene imploding now it's exploding, exploding.
1: i like that we get a look at all sorts of different people Mm -hmm. and where they're going you get kind of a view of their role
0: yeah like everybody has a place and they have a position that they need to assume
1: yes we get a good look at several like farm animals yep they've got that are underfoot
0: they've got piglets and they've got a rabbit running through the compound they've got some chickens
1: which i really love because it completes the logical picture how are these people feeding themselves it fills in some gaps about how they feed themselves and how they're subsisting other than hey we have electricity
0: yeah you can't use electricity to make food out of thin air
1: yeah, glad you finished that sentence. Like, well, you can use electricity to make food, but you have to have raw food.
0: <laughs> you, you realize that process is use. called cooking, yeah. right?
1: <laughs> Cook up those rabbits.
0: When... Uh the lookout is shouting we actually get a couple of quick shots of people in the compound we get to see Archie Whitley and she's talking to another compound dweller and we kind of see that she's got a little dog of her own and that oh, dog comes I, back
1: I missed that
0: later on it, it, we see a couple of shots of it yeah you know it's her dog that she holds on to so we get to see that really quickly we also get to see a shot of Papagallo and he seems to be like lounging in a chair and I, maybe lounging is the wrong word maybe he's like brooding you know he just told them to get rid of someone so now he's gonna go sit in his brooding chair and brood for a little while
1: it does seem awfully quick for him to be relaxing after giving an order to
0: get rid of someone
1: yeah i got kind of a throne vibe (laughs) like he gave an order and then went and returned to his throne okay which doesn't speak well of him.
0: No, but I can see where you're coming from.
1: We've seen before that he is a working leader. He was, he was manning a turret when Max arrived. Yep. And he takes his turn defending the place just like everybody else. Yep.
0: He took point when it came to addressing this person that came out of nowhere, putting himself right up against the perceived danger. Yes. Like he's a frontline leader.
1: Yes, absolutely. So it seemed out of character that he,
0: would just kind of retreat to a chair somewhere yes exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> exactly we get a quick glimpse of somebody who's asleep in a hammock type
0: yeah it's like something. an old guy and he's got a big old bandage across his face like yeah he lost an and he's eye. like
1: getting up out of the hammock to go man his post i would rather have seen papagallo in a hammock like he had to get up out of the hammock that he just got down into it would have shown that his relaxing had more of a purpose like he was resting he was sleeping which he has to do not that he was just lounging. The chair just seems weird to me. It seems out of place.
0: Okay. I don't like it. I kind of see it as just part of his character because we're going to see later on in the movie when he makes a decision that could be considered a tough one. Okay. He goes off and... In the case of the later scene, he sits off in a chair and he kind of fiddles with a, I think it's an hourglass or something like that. And so this idea of him retreating to think ah, is just
1: thinking chair.
0: part of what he does. So All right, I, I feel like it. this is our first instance of that habit that we're going to see later on.
1: Okay. I'll buy a thinking chair.
0: Yeah, but it also kind of looks like he's brooding. Everyone is running and scrambling. They pull the interceptor and the mechanic out of the way so that they can close the bus gate. Do
1: you find it odd that this whole time they left the bus gate open? Um, a little bit. I would have expected that they closed it. As soon as they got the car inside, they would have closed it right away.
0: But at the same time, there was no perceived danger in sight and they had the lookout. So it kind of makes sense that they would leave it open so that they could pull the car inside. But yeah, as they get the Interceptor in, they're able to finally close that gate.
1: Close the gate.
0: I mean, closing the gate was like the next order after get that car inside. Right. As everyone's running around, one person in particular, the feral child, runs up to the wall and then kind of crawls down into a hole. I interpret that hole as being part of... Like underground series of tunnels that is just big enough for the feral child to get through. I think your notes called it a hidey hole. Did you kind of get the sense that that was just him hiding?
1: I wrote down that he seems to have a hiding place already established Mm -hmm. inside, but you think it's connected to the outside? Yeah. By a tunnel.
0: When we first see the feral child, he's coming out of a hole. Yes. And then he runs across the field, he follows Max inside, and he's above ground the entire time. We see the feral child, he's running into this hole. The next time we see him is going to be sometime next week because it's thursday and there's only one day left he is going to pop out of a hole outside the compound and i think in the commentary george and dean refer to those as like a warren tunnel or something like that so like a series of tunnels that rabbits use yeah and he's kind of co-opted that idea
1: okay to have
0: a series of crawling tunnels that he works his way through
1: that is very interesting it Further separates him from everybody else. The knowledge of these tunnels. Do you think the dwellers, the compound dwellers, know about the tunnels?
0: They probably know, but they probably realize that they are child-sized and that they have nothing to worry about with them.
1: And do you think if the marauders knew about the tunnels, they would try and use them in some way?
0: They would probably try and find someone who is small enough to fit through them, but I feel like they would not be able to do that. (laughs)
1: I mean, I know that the feral child is quite young and quite small, but... Some adults are that small. Some women are that small.
0: We're going to see a lot of people in this horde. I don't know. Maybe I'm just giving them all a cursory glance. I definitely think they'd be hard-pressed to find someone that small. That but small. I feel like the tunnels are so well-hidden to people who are focused on things above ground that yeah. they probably don't have much Did to they worry probably- about. Yeah. You'll see him pop out of the ground next week.
1: Okay, I'm still kind of digesting the idea of connected tunnels.
0: The last thing we see this minute is Virginia, and she has Max in a pair of handcuffs, one around his wrist, and she puts the other around a hand railing and just leaves him chained up so that she can go do... More important stuff at the time. It kind of makes me wonder if the chain in those handcuffs is made of high tensile steel, because I would wager that it would take about ten minutes for him to hack through that with a saw. I uh, yeah. I mean, if he's lucky, it'd probably take him five minutes to cut through his wrist. <laughs> he's not under that type of time crunch.
1: No, and I think it would take him less time to hack through his wrist because it's smaller. The bones are smaller than than the ankle, than the ankle bone. Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: oh gruesome callbacks but max is more ingenious than that we're gonna see how he gets out of those handcuffs i think next week it might be the week after i'm not quite sure we're gonna leave it at this virginia has handcuffed max max is standing there just kind of chained in place and so we're gonna pick up tomorrow with everyone rushing into position and tomorrow is going to be our guest episode so we'll uh have some fun new eyes some fresh eyes For our Friday episodes, we can have a fresh eyes Friday. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad
1: Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures.
0: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBautista.com.
1: You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com.
0: And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full.
1: Thank you for joining us for Minute 29 of The Road Warrior. We'll see you tomorrow.